morning, Tripe and Rasheen readers and listeners. It's Friday morning. It's our outdoor summer. We're having the most wonderful weather events you can possibly imagine. And due to the weather events, JJ and I are not recording in his shed this week. So we're doing this via Zoom. So if the sound quality is a slightly bit different, it's because we're recording from home this week. How are you doing, JJ? I'm fine. Thank you, Ellie. And you? Uh, pretty exhausted. End of the week. It always feels like marathon and you just want to get through those last few deadlines and the last few things. And it's been a very busy week and it's been yeah. lashing rain outside. Apparently it's going to ease off this afternoon a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It might make us a little bit more uh, optimistic about our future. So uh, everybody who's listening, thank you very much for joining us. We are Tripe and Rasheen. We are your local independent Cork-based newsletter that arrives in your email if you're clever enough to subscribe. Uh, you can do that <laughs> by logging on to our website. Stop laughing, JJ. <laughs> uh, and you can so you can sign up via our website. And uh, you can also follow us on social media, which would be at Tidrasheen on Twitter and Tripendrasheen on Instagram, if that's your thing. So we have a couple of things that we want to cover this week. It's been an interesting news week. There's something I want to talk about in a while, which is about like the HSE and the hacking and stuff like that. Okay. But first, we'll go to a local story, which is that the... Cork city councillors have been included in this €8,000 pay increase. Yeah, so um, so actually that's been mandated like since 2019. There was a review of council pay across the country. And um, I spoke to two councillors just this week, maybe today and yesterday, about uh, different issues. But um, And I asked both of them, um, Lauren Vogue and councillor kieran mccarthy i brought that up with them and then um, obviously they were both quite happy who is not happy when they get um a bump in their salary but to be fair to them as well you know um i think like as lorna pointed out that most people if you ask them what do you think a councillor makes they kind of have this idea or oh, should they probably make the same as a td when they don't at all like so their basic salary is seventeen and a half thousand, seventeen thousand six hundred euro and they're getting, as you said, an 8,000 euro increase. And like, that's substantial, but um, it still pales in comparison to what a TD earns, which is over 100,000 euro. But again, it's not like for like either. I mean, uh, all councillors have another job, whereas if you're a TD, that's a full-time job. But um, Councillor McCarthy said that he hopes like that, you know, councillors who people, especially younger people who have thought about getting involved in politics this will kind of maybe entice them a bit more and that they would stick around longer because you know he says sometimes it might be they'll come into a few years and then they move on you know if you have to depending for salary reasons and um councillor borg lauren borg she said um like it's great and like it'll help her with her rent she was just very honest like she often works um, in call centers and she said she would make more money working in a call center um, and both of them pointed out that like it's a, it's a full-time role really you know they're always dealing with constituents problems and issues and everything and in fairness you know I will say that about like people do contact their councillors um, and they have their hands full so in fairness 8,000 euro I think they deserve it you know. I mean I actually calculated it earlier and if you consider that a councillor is kind of on call all year yeah. round uh, their current salary would be 490 per hour. That's pretty 
decent. <laughs> <laughs> Four euros 90 per hour hitting the big time. But it's kind of interesting because also it, it talks to the conversation we've been having around having a directly elected Lord Mayor and the kind of professionalization yeah. of politics in Cork because you know, I mean, councillors do an enormous, like no matter your political leanings or what have you, yeah, they do an enormous you. amount of work. They're getting called. I mean, I have some councillors that don't think twice about returning a text or a call yeah. at nine o'clock in the evening, mm-hmm. whatever about the fact that they have another job. And that's a kind of an interesting issue too, because where does that sit with the kind of like uh, neutrality that you would need to yeah. actually be holding in mm. place to to be advocating for your community and not for your employer, for example, yeah. which is an interesting mm. one. You know, you get these stories in the tabloid press all the time that are about kind of like this TD is on this much and oh, it's a disgrace. And it's to kind of um, it's to kind of highlight that there's a political class. But to me, local politics doesn't feel like that at all. But it's an ongoing conversation, right? Yeah, they could do with it. Because as you said, and they'll, they'll all say it, you know, that they are kind of on call all the time, you know. And mm. some of them are obviously a lot more prepared and they do an awful lot of reading around the topics and issues that they have to investigate and legislate on, you know. Um, and you can tell the ones that do put in, you know, the groundwork. Yeah. And there are some that are phoning it in all the time. I mean, that's we have to accept that too, right? But <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, for sure. There is tripe and machine. So, um, it's ten years since some kind of a royal monarch from a different uh, jurisdiction visited us here in Cork. Come off with Ellie, like you weren't at the head of the English market waving all your royal battalions. And I think I was stomping around the city going, the queen of what country? <laughs> <laughs> because every time someone says the queen, I'm like, the queen of where? Like, there's there are lots of queens in the world. Is there only one that's relevant There is only to us? one true queen. I actually wasn't here. Which, you were living in Japan, right? Yeah, I just like to work that into every podcast. I know yes. it was on all the news channels over there. Like Ireland never makes the news in Japan. It doesn't exist. Ireland really. made the news in Japan because, because the, the Queen, Queen of England visited. Yeah, the Queen is like, they are, they are as much royal fans as, um, let's be honest, most people in Ireland are. Or a lot of people in Ireland are. Hang on, don't say most people in Ireland. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But like, if you look at this video that the, the council just released, man, there's a lot of cheerleaders in Cork for the royal family. There, there is, and like, the, mm. there's a quote from the mayor who was the mayor at the time. Is it Michael O'Connell? I probably have his name wrong. Apologies, but he said she never got a reception like anywhere else in the world. Like she did that afternoon in Cork, which. Maybe he knows more than I do, but like, yeah, it was it was a big, big deal, huh, Ellie? I mean, I just always think of like Pat in the English market, oh. the fish guy. And it seems that we all just have to go and introduce all our dignitaries to Pat. That's like, if, if you're Obama and you come to Cork, you meet Pat. If you're the Queen and you come to Cork, you meet Pat. And that's an amazing position because like, he doesn't seem like such a on a day-to-day basis I mean he's obviously a wonderful human and a legend but he doesn't seem like a kind of a dignitary in that sense but it's become this kind of a a, like a stereotype that if someone comes to Cork they go to the English market and they get photographed with Pat Um, he's featured in this video the memorial video of course 
along with Tim Coveney and Michal Martin and some council executives and Nordrick. And those planters, um, yeah, like the big plastic roundy planters that they put, because I was in Cork when that happened and I was quite grumpy. I was stomping around a lot because I wouldn't be a kind of a royalist. And, and that's not to do with what country that is. I just, I just don't understand. Monarchy. Monarchy in general. Mm. So mm. like, Cork City Council put up these big planters everywhere and oh, filled them with are, flowers in advance of... Uh, are they there since then? Because I, I see yeah. them. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were purchased for that. So now they've been moved to different places. Yeah. But yeah. they were all in front of Cork City Library and all of that. Yeah. I was cross about it. Like, I was actually really cross about it. <laughs> when she was in the North they actually put up fake hoardings in front of all the derelict buildings in the Northern Irish towns. So she wouldn't have to see the state of kind of like urban decay that was going on while she was on her business. Above and beyond. Yeah. And and they stayed for a couple of years and I was in a couple of those towns years later and there was like mm. a fake cafe in the window and it was <laughs> surreal. Absolutely <laughs> surreal. If she has to meet that everywhere she goes, that's a weird life experience she has. Oh, right Hilary Mantel has this brilliant piece in the London Review of Books from a few years ago. Just like and she compares all the um the royal family basically to caged animals. Like it is, they are our equivalent of you know an important zoo animal. But uh, yeah, if it, and there's great illustrations as well to that. So, piece. but can I just point out that they're not our equivalent of it? Like because we don't have a monarchy no. here. Yeah. Okay. But given the choice, people might vote them in. I, I, let's ask our listeners. I mean, like, if you think that we need a new monarchy here in Ireland, please get in contact via Twitter at Tidrasheen or on Instagram at Tripendrasheen. Any way you want to get in contact with us to tell us that we need to reinstitute a monarchy in Ireland. Am I sounding cross? <laughs> Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off this one. Tell me about the tweet of the week. I'm not even sure if I can pronounce this one. Well, that's two of us. You know, the way Cork has quite a few, um, well, three, the Marina, Montanati and Tivoli. And they, they are all Italian sounding, yeah? Are kind they? Of. Okay. Montan- Montanati is. Montanati. Tivoli. <laughs> yeah. And the Marina. <laughs> no, no, the, the, no, rule out the Marina. Anyway, so... You're saying that what we need to do is we need to have more Italian sounding names in Cork to make us feel better about ourselves and more exotic, especially if we're not going on holidays and we have to face into this weather all summer. We might as well rename our city with Italian sounding names. And there was some funny suggestions, but like uh, La Garda. Yeah, that that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Nakahini was renamed as, and I can't pronounce it. I can say it. I can say it. This was Eleanor. She's an amazing yeah. visual artist based in Cork. And she tweeted us back and she said, Nyoki Nahine. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was a win, to be honest. I mean, no. I was a bit disappointed because I had nominated Black Puglia, which I just think is fantastic. Like Puglia. It's, and it's also, it ties in. It's like in socioeconomic terms, Blackpool, Puglia. I think it's great. <laughs> no, Eleanor still wins. Eleanor wins, for sure. So, one other kind of anniversary story. Um, Black Rock Boy does good in England. You know, Shit London Guinness, where all Shit London Guinness is documented. It's on Instagram and Twitter. Um, is this the guy who just photographs pints? Well, he, not just him, other people too. 
so the, there's a community of them. Um, but he's Ian's from Blackrock, and uh, that's his baby, and he's got a load of merch, and that's how he's one year old. <laughs> there you go. So uh, I'm hoping that some of that merch makes its way to her royal highness. Sorry, excuse me. You think that Queen Elizabeth yeah, II is it should be wearing shit London Guinness merch? I don't think she should be, but why not? Years and years and years ago, I was working at a computer magazine in London, and this is like pre-social media almost it was um the royal family had just got up on youtube or facebook possibly and i contacted the royal household so i said does she have any what like what are her three favorite websites because i think we used to have a like a kind of a column that you're like famous people <laughs> jj i have to ask you this again did you ask the queen of england what were her th- three favorite, three favorite websites? websites and the answer i got back is the queen does not nominate she does not have favourites, um, but he kind of gave me a wink, like a nice try, all the same. That what would for... you expect she would say? What are the Queen of England's three favourite websites then, would you imagine? Uh, that's actually a good question. Yeah. Um, like, I'd say, in fairness, Wikipedia. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> where is that? <laughs> Who is the head of that country? I mean, it is handy, isn't that? Isn't there that like um, something's peerage, like that kind of like that? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. what's that called again? You know, that thing where I you get really to look up somebody's pedigree and all of that stuff. I'd say yeah. she's on that all the time. It could be a, I'd say Google Maps as well. Like just. What was she, what's she looking at? This is mine. And yeah, this is also mine. <laughs> <laughs> like dropping her little pin flag at mine, 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 mine. <laughs> Scotland, all mine. <laughs> You know, we're speaking journalist to journalist. That is one of the best press requests I've ever heard. Dear HRH, what are your three favourite websites? I'd say she's on eBay all the time. <laughs> she does have a lot to plug, all right. And, and www.corgis.org. No, forgot about it. I bet you she's definitely up on a, like a dog website. Yeah, like what Crofts or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 totally. I I have a queen I want to talk about. You know, if if we had to vote on it, if it was a democratic queen, mm. and if there was a queen of Cork County, the subject of my long read this week yeah, might yeah. be up there for my nomination for Queen of Cork County. There's a there's a quote actually I want to read to you that you have yeah it's actually the penultimate paragraph and she says um, if you don't mind me reading it she says I'm willing to sacrifice myself to get what my daughter deserves she says with the familiar note of steely determination in her voice we walked to Dublin once without my realizing it for a long time after that war that walk alerted thousands of people to Ava's plight I don't want to be civilly disobedient I don't want drama or to fight with anybody I'm aching to cooperate for a resolution. Like this story, I'm not so familiar with until I came across it this week with your long read. Um, but like, what an amazing, I mean, sometimes when we say someone's amazing, but she's also very ordinary, you know. Like, So I'm just going to cut in and explain yeah. to listeners that what we're talking about is the long read that went out yesterday evening. If you have subscribed and signed up via email, you will have got that to your inbox. And I interviewed uh, Vera Toomey, from Ahabulug outside McCroom, who is a long-standing campaigner for access to medical cannabis in Ireland on behalf of her daughter, Ava, who is 11 now. 
it's never not emotional when you speak to Vera. Yeah. She has this incredible capacity to keep speaking while she's crying, which is a, a very, very gut-wrenching thing to encounter. I mean, you do a lot of interviews, right, as a journalist, but when mm-hmm. somebody talks about how proud they are of their daughter and how she managed to survive her infancy when doctors said that she wasn't going to do it and the person is crying but talking at the same time on the phone to you there's no way not to be very very moved by that so it's always very moving to speak to Vera actually but at the moment Mm -hmm. there's a there's a really interesting thing unfolding which I tried to do justice to in the long read, which is basically that. So in Ireland at the moment, there are 58 licensees for medical cannabis. So unlike other classes of drugs where you would just get a prescription and then you might be put on a a treatment scheme or what have you, uh, there's still this really kind of rarefied, you're looking for an exemption. You have to approach the Department of Health and the Minister Mm. for Health to look for an individual license to be able to go and get your medication if your medication is medical cannabis. Uh, So that's been Vera's battle for an extremely long time. I mean, she's done the most incredible things. So Mm -hmm. twice she set off to walk to Leinster House from her home in McCroom. Mm -hmm. The first time she did it as a kind of a visceral response to a seizure that Ava had. So Ava has uh, Dravet's syndrome, which is a a really, really extreme form of epilepsy. And throughout her infancy and when she was a young child, she was having these like relentless seizures all the time and they damaged her brain. And she was prescribed loads of different medications and none of them worked. So imagine, I mean, like, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Can you imagine going to your doctor and your doctor saying, oh, we'll give your child this medicine. And then you give the child the medicine. It comes with a range of different side effects and it doesn't stop mm. their illness. I mean, I think it's every parent's worst, night- worst nightmare, that. Mm. So that was their story for a long time. And then they decided that they were going to investigate alternative treatments. Uh, They read that uh, medical cannabis was being used to treat epilepsy successfully. And they decided to pursue that course themselves. And they found themselves in this really amazing situation where from 2010 to 2016, Ava had been on a variety of different uh, pharmaceutical, you know, I mean, like benzodiazepines and stuff like that. I mean, like like very very extreme medication prescribed to her when she was a baby that all came with side effects. And then she went on, first of all, CBD and then combination CBD and THC. So they're the two active compounds in cannabis. And the response for her has been that she hasn't been, they haven't called an ambulance for Ava since she started those treatments. So whatever we think, and I think we live in a society that's kind of really, like there's a lot of um, worry that we're opening a kind of a gateway for recreational use of cannabis. And, you know, there's kind of a lot of moralizing and stuff. If that's the medicine that works for that child, Mm -hmm. 
that that's a an interesting situation to be in. So the entire saga is in the long read. I mean, like she did the most extraordinary things. She set off in the first instance, walked. She got to Mallow and Simon Harris, who was the health minister at the time, called her and asked her to stop <laughs> because she was generating a lot of publicity. And Vera also has she's three other kids. She? Yeah, young, all younger than Ava as well. Wow. So she's fought really, really long and hard. And I think that they she really felt that there was a light at the end of the tunnel this year because... Mm. And this is weird because this is one of these like, you know, the way COVID-19 has all of these kind of impacts that we don't yeah. ever consider. And so because most of the medical cannabis users in Ireland are very vulnerable, they were in a situation before COVID-19 where they had to travel. So Vera had to fly to the Netherlands every three months to get treatment for Ava. And so when yeah. COVID-19 happened, the Irish government very kindly agreed to import those drugs for those licensees for the duration of the COVID-19 restrictions. But. So after that, there was another round of good news because after that, uh, the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, announced that he was going to extend that programme. So now uh, medical cannabis can be imported into Ireland in the longer term, which is absolutely incredible news. But Ava's medication is produced in the Netherlands and it's called Bedrocan. And that's actually the medication that the majority of Irish medical cannabis users are on. And it's unlicensed. So the situation at the moment is that if you're on Bedrocan, you have to stump up 9,500 euros every three months. You have to have that money in your bank account. You have to go in, you have to pay up front, and then you'll get reimbursed afterwards. The reimbursement process is not guaranteed, and it can take five or six weeks for that process to come through. There's a lot of other people in the same situation as AVSO as well here in Ireland. It's not a lot. It's 58 patients. But in the meantime, if you happen to suffer from Dravet syndrome and if your symptoms do respond well to regular treatments, to pharmaceutical treatments, then your treatment is covered under the long term illness scheme. Mm. So that's a really strange situation for the Irish government to be in where they're giving the medicine free of charge to an enor- like a much bigger group of people who are taking pharmaceutical products. And some of those pharmaceutical products, by the way, I mean, like benzodiazepines, like benzos, you know, I mean, like Mm -hmm. they are widely abused outside of their prescripted form. They're highly addictive. And yet the amount of regulation that's being put onto making sure that these cannabis products Mm -hmm. are not leading to deregulation and decriminalization specifically for recreational use is really interesting. And in that article, Vera talks really, really, really well about that and about the kind of weird stigma that is still attached and the kind of societal attitude that's there when it comes to something that she considers to just be a medicine. You know, I mean, I think she she is to an extent a kind of a poster girl for this campaign Mm. because she's not a dreadlocked, you know, 
eco-warrior, you know, weed-smoking activist. She's very clearly somebody who doesn't ever want to break the law and who just wants to provide an essential medicine. In Ava's case, a life-saving medicine to her child. Hugely frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible, you know, absolutely incredible. And it leads on to something interesting for me, which is that... um, I was trying to contact the Department of Health to get a response. So I had a couple of questions relating to Ava's story, Mm. just about Bedrican and why they weren't able to negotiate uh, some kind of arrangement and, you know, those those types of questions. And I got no response at all, not even an acknowledgement of my email. And this was all this week? Yeah, this was all this week. And obviously the big story for the HSE this week is the hacking story. Mm. I also had a big freedom of information request that was due in Monday this week. Mm. And I still haven't had a response there. So I'm very curious as to whether or not the hacking story Mm. is going to be used to delay due process. Yeah, maybe it's a legitimate worry. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to email the information commissioner this week and ask them if they have a policy or a stance on this. Mm. Because whatever about private patient information and protecting that, are the normal staff not able to use their emails? Mm. Are the PR department not using their emails? Mm. Are the FOI department not using their emails? I'm curious, to be Mm. honest. Yeah. Let us know how you get on that one. And you have a really interesting update for us as well, because obviously the news broke yesterday about the Debenhams workers finally voting to take the um, to take the package, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was yesterday. Yeah. um, That package that was that came together last December, but uh, they initially voted it down uh, in favour of striking, continued to strike. And they've been out since almost the kind of the start of the lockdown. And um, this is the Debenhams workers all over um, across Ireland at their stores. And in April, we profiled um, Valerie Condon, who has been a long time worker, first at Roaches and then at um, Debenhams. And um, yeah, she's been out there two or three times a week. And um, so, yeah. So you actually called Valerie. Let's just, just after, play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's just play that clip because you called Valerie and you asked her for her response to the news we weren't surprised to be honest with you because um people are tired people need you know to get on with their lives it's like at the end of the day it was 317 to 102 no and uh, so it's just show you the amount of people that been strong enough to vote no for it as well mm. it was still a strong no vote you know um but yeah unfortunately because we, we can't be here still this time next year fighting the same fight knowing when we weren't going to be getting anything more because we were told we weren't going to get any more. Are you disappointed or how do you feel? Are you a bit relieved? You know what, now somebody just asked me that question as well. I'm, I'm happy the tickets are over. Yeah. Disappointed with the offer, but we are still going to be fighting for legislation. So like, even though our tickets are down, uh, we we're still going to fight that fight. And Patrick Street can hold their heads up high because all our staff is still inside the store. Like, 
she can see that she recognises there's still a considerable, there was 102 against it. Um, but um, like, I think to just facing into another summer and then after that, where does it all go? I think... I thought it was really interesting that she said that she wasn't surprised that the vote got carried. You know, like people are so exhausted. They are, they are, yeah. Um, and it's hard, you know, and it's been the strangest time ever to, you know, do conduct industrial action and picketing. Um, and how long more could they keep going for? You know, a lot of them have moved on and are moving on. Um, and I think, yeah, they just realised that kind of, this we're not going to get any more but like as she points out in the article as well they're they're fighting like for workers rights you know that when this happens and it has happened since that you know the, that that stock is taken into account who owns that like kpmg are in charge of that right now and um, none of that will see it work its way back to like a workers fund do you know what i mean davenham's cut and run and um, and they're saying well what about us and rightly so you know and i think that the government have been very very slow to help them Listen, I think let's wrap it up there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thanks to everybody who tuned in. Um, and do send us any tips or news, etc., that you think we should be covering. We're trying to do our best to cover those independent stories in Cork that no one else is covering in any detail. And we want to keep doing that for as long as possible. If you want to help us, you can sign up via email. You can tell your friends and you can share our articles if you think they're interesting. We have a long read that goes out on the Thursday evening. We have the Friday view, which is this podcast, which goes out on a Friday morning. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Tidrashin or on Instagram at Tripendrashin. And apart from that, just stay in the conversation with us. We want you to be right there with us on that journey. So from me, Ellie O'Byrne, and you, JJ O'Donoghue. <laughs> Always say sayonara at the end of our podcast sign-offs. That's fantastic. I also both. <laughs> Have a fantastic weekend. This has been the Friday View and we'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>